to jump right into the message. And, oh, by the way, if you're here for the very first time, we think that you are in the exact right place. It, there is no accidents here today. We are all divinely appointed by God in the very time and the very place that we live that we might somehow, some way, collide with Him. And so we're hoping that it happens today, and so welcome. Um, we're in week two of a series we're calling Death to Selfie. Death to selfie. I'm not going to take a selfie this week. I had my selfie on my phone from last week. Um, but here, here's, here's just a big thought, all right? For most of us, the biz, biggest obstacle to our spiritual journey is not something outside of ourselves, but something within ourselves. I, I, I wholeheartedly believe this. And sometimes we'd like to point at that or that or that, but really the issue for most of us in our spiritual journey in life in general is something that's going on inside of us that needs to be dealt with. And so this whole series is revolving around us doing this, this internal introspective idea of what is happening in me that is keeping me from being what God created me to be. And so we're talking about that. So last week, we kicked off the series by laying the foundation of what it means to live dead. And if you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's kind of the foundation for the whole series. And we just opened it up and said, what does it mean to live dead? What does Christ mean when he calls us to that? Because at the core of Jesus' invitation to all of us is this idea of dying to ourselves. Now, now the thought of dying to ourselves uh, if, you're, if you're a normal person, I think the initial thought is, I don't know if I want to do that. It sounds dangerous. It sounds un, uncomfortable. It doesn't sound like... But it's the very core of what Jesus presented in the Gospels as a follower of Christ. In other words, dying to ourselves is connected with being with Jesus. I mean, it's just part of it. And so if I don't get this, then I might be fighting against something that Jesus is actually wanting to see happen in my life. And so there's a problem that goes with this. And it's this, is that many of us have believed the lie that says you can follow Christ without actually dying to yourself. That somehow I can follow Christ and still be fully given to myself, fully alive, if you will, with myself. And that's just a lie. And so we're kind of trying to deal with that in this series. And, and really, in course, or connection with that thought is we think that death to selfie is optional. And we talked about that last week, and if you want to go back again, listen to it. So, so here's some truth. We all need to die to ourselves, which is very difficult for some of us to hear or agree with. I actually had some conversations with people from last week and said, man, I don't know if I agree with that. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't agree with that? Death is selfie, you know, live dead. It's like, it's the very message of Christ. What, what, what part of it, don't you? And, I, and, I, and after the, I heard that, I was like, why is that so hard? Why, why is that? And I, what's going on? What's, what's the problem here that maybe a message or a series like this would be so unwelcomed, if you will, by some of us? And, I, and I, I just thought of a couple of thoughts. One of them is we have bought into the popular culture of today. See, the culture that we live in today is all about getting as much as you can for self, not dying to yourself. <laughs> It's actually promoting yourself. It's actually living and elevating yourself. I mean, it's just the opposite of what Jesus is talking about. So in some ways, I think the problem that many of us might have in dealing with this particular topic is the culture that we live in is actually more of us than we really want to admit. It's actually part of who we are. And so maybe that's a good reason for us to have this conversation together. So the series is counterculture. Or maybe... It's because we are living for ourselves, and we don't want anybody to challenge us or make us uncomfortable. Let's just be honest. 
right? Maybe I'd rather you not get there. Don't, don't get that close. Don't, don't get up in my business. Don't get close to where I'm living because I'm uncomfortable with you talking about errors of my life that needs to die. And I thought about that for a while. And I thought, you know what? Jesus was constantly making people uncomfortable. He was constantly getting up in people's business. And, and, and it wasn't so that he could make them feel bad. It wasn't so he could push them down. It was actually he was trying to get them to come up to what we were created to be in the first place. And see, some of us, we're just having this wrestling match. And so I want to encourage you today to, to push through the uncomfortableness and push through this idea that maybe, maybe God would say something to me in this series. So here's our key text. The key text is found in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 25. And it's Jesus speaking, and this is what he said, and this is what we broke down last week. It says, if, and we, we started out with the last week with this thought, statement, it's a choice. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. There has to be a turning or a death to self. And he goes on and he says, take up your cross daily, which is the epitome of the picture of death. This cross-carrying lifestyle that Christ is saying to do daily and follow me. And if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, you, but, you, but are yourself lost or destroyed? And so Jesus is very pointed. He's saying there needs to be, if you're going to be a follower of me, if you're going to follow me in your life, and you're going to give yourself to Christ, and if you're here and you're thinking, well, what is this Jesus thing? This is what the Jesus thing is, is that you would accept his life for your life, and you would live your life for him. That's what he's talking about, that there would be this death to selfie. So what does dying to self mean? It means simply this. I am saying no to my self-centered way so that I might be able to say yes to my Christ-centered way. I'm saying no to one part of who I am in my human sinful nature that I might be able to say yes to the Christ-centered nature that Christ is calling all of us to. If you're here today, whether in a relationship with Christ or considering it or wondering about it, be assured of this. God is calling you to a relationship with him. That's why you were created in the first place. And so this idea of being Christ-centered because of Jesus, I now live for Jesus. And Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 2. He said, my old self has been crucified. My old self has died. There's been a death to selfie. My old self has been crucified with Christ. In other words, the old self has found a death place in Christ because death in Christ is better than anything else. And he goes on, he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So now, he says, I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so he gives this whole picture of what it means for Paul, this apostle, to live dead, to have this death to selfie thing happening. And I was thinking about this, you know, just idea of death to self and, and, and getting over myself, that over the years I've realized more and more that most of my problems I face in ministry as a pastor, most of the problems that I face in my family or in my relationship with my wife or my kids, it, or, or most of the problems that I face with men myself, they all around revolve around this idea of me being fully surrendered and empty of myself. 
they all come back to the same thing. They all come back to the same idea that maybe, just maybe, I'm not completely dead in these areas, and therefore it's causing a lot of problems. And so I just think that that's a big part of it. In other words, I would say it this way. I can easily become my worst enemy. Anybody out there agree with that? I can easily become my worst enemy. I can easily become the one that tries to control everything or manipulate everything. I can easily become the one that makes it all about me. I I can easily become that. I can easily get in the way of the very thing that God wants to call me to, that I can live this life dead to myself. It's, It's many times that way. So today... We're going to continue, continue in this journey of death to selfie and consider the death of rebellion. The death of rebellion. I'm going to ask a question. Is there any rebels in the room? Those of you that are chuckling, I'm wondering if you're chuckling because you are or you know one. You know one. All right, okay. Is there any... Rebels in a room. Is there anybody in the room that maybe has as a life anthem, Born to be wild. Is that your life anthem? Is there anybody in the room that, that maybe, and I'm not going to say this is you or you don't have to raise your hand, but when you get pulled over for a speeding ticket in, a, in the thought that maybe you ever would, you are somehow mad at the police officer for even doing it. <laughs> That somehow when he pulled you, how dare you pull me over? <laughs> how dare you? Or, or, or when someone disagrees with you, what's your response? When somebody gets a, a little pushy with you or tries to tell you what to do or bosses you around. You know, I tell Jennifer all the time, you're not the boss of me. You know, I tell her that. But she still bosses me, you know, and so we, you know, I realize I've got a rebel in me, you know, there's, there's part of that in there. Um, when someone criticizes you, what's your response? Whether it's true or not, how do you, how do you respond? You know, how, how is it that you respond in that? Do you view life as a suggestion that are the, all the rules are just options if, they, if I want to? I mean, how how do you do this? Because, and here's the truth, and I'll just try to sum it up as simple as I can. There's a rebel in all of us. It's part of human nature. It's part of sinful, fallen human nature, this rebellion idea. And so somehow I've got to bring a death to the rebellion if I'm going to fulfill what God's called me to. That I've got to turn from these selfish ways. And so I want to come back to the question that I kind of asked at the beginning. Why is talking about death to selfie and death to rebellion so hard? I mean, we're talking about rebellion, and we kind of chuckle about it because we know that a lot of times I'm, I got this little rebel thing going on, and, and sometimes we think it's cute or cool, you know, we got all these kind of things going on, but what's really going on here? And, and I, I thought about it for just a little bit, tried to come up with some thoughts about what I think is happening, and here's, here's three of them. They're in your notes if you want to fill it in, and I think a big part of it is this, is we reserve a part of our lives where we won't let God in. Why is it so hard to deal with this death to selfie and death to rebellion? Because we reserve a part of our lives where we won't let God in. In other words, we won't let him have any control over this area. Not this area. God, you can have this, you can have that, but you can't have this. In other words, we have an off-limit sign in some areas of our lives that really cause problems when we start to talk about death to selfie and death to rebellion. We've got off-limits staked in the ground at certain points and certain places in who we are as people, 
And that just causes some problems. So I think that's a big part of it. Here's another one is that I think we struggle to accept that rebellion might actually be in me. Some of you chuckled when I asked, is there any rebels in the room? And you, you chuckled because you thought, yeah, I know one. Well, let me just challenge that a little bit. Maybe it's in you. Maybe it's part of who you are. And, and I always say it this way. Is it possible that you could be wrong? Now, if you're sitting there right now and what's going through your mind, and you're saying no, you are the rebel. Okay? Is it possible? Yes, it's possible. And so I need to somehow come to the point where I can at least have the conversation with God and, and, and with my own heart and awareness and go, maybe it's possible that I have to accept or realize that rebellion actually might be part of who I am. And so I think we need to deal with that. I think that's why it's hard. Here's another one. Is, and my list started getting bigger and bigger as I made this next one. Is we often try to hide our rebellion behind things like criticism. Sometimes rebellion hides behind a pointing a finger. It's actually rebellion at many times that causes the pointing of the finger in the first place. Or we hide behind a curtain of success. Look how success I am, successful I am. Look how much I've accomplished. Look how much I've done. And because of that, really what it is is it's rebellion cloaked in, if you will, success. And some of us have a hard time dealing with the rebellion because we just keep pointing at the success. But it's still there. Or, or the last one, and this one, and we're going to talk about this one, is there's this curtain of spirituality, which, in my opinion, is maybe the most dangerous. Because somehow I've convinced myself that I'm okay with God, and therefore he is somehow indirectly or directly condoning my rebellion. Whew. I don't know if I want to go there. <laughs> Sounds like lightning bolt time, right? But that's the ideas. And so I think those are all maybe parts of who we are. Now, scriptures are full of stories about rebellion. And, and, and it was easy to find one today to talk about. And, but I just want to give you a few thoughts or, or truths, if you will, about rebellion scripture-wide. All right? And here's the first one. Uh, these aren't in your notes, but I just want to give, give you a few thoughts. Number one is that God restores the rebellious who turn. God restores the rebellious who turn. Meaning if I'm rebellious and I've got this rebellion in me and I turn from my selfish ways or I turn away from the rebellion, God covers my life with grace and forgiveness and he restores. That's the heart of God. God does that. It's again and again and again you will see the rebellious forgiven. You will see the rebellious restored. You will see that person that so shook their fist at God that at the same time God somehow came back and made it right again. But at the, on the flip side of that is that God destroys the rebellious who doesn't who, or who don't. There is this justice side of God that is very scary to talk about. And it always seems to be connected with rebellion. It always needs, seems to be connected with this idea that when I shake my fist at God or I turn my back on God and I do all these things against God in some shape or form, slight or big, whatever it might be, that I am in danger of God's justice and his judgment. It's a very scary thing to think about, that God sometimes destroys the rebellious. And finds judgment. Here's another thought. Is that often 
throughout Scripture, God was the only one who could deal with the rebellious. That's a scary thought. You ever had a conversation with a person that was in rebellion and almost like they couldn't hear anything you were saying? Anybody? <laughs> yeah, okay. You know what I'm talking about. You know, they were just so out there, and you'd say to them, hey, don't, you're, you're being rebellious. No, I'm not. I mean, just the very thought of, no, I'm not. You know, it's like a fight right off the bat. You're, you're out there. You're going through all these, you know, I mean, I've got people in my life right now that are just so far out there, and I've had conversations with them, and they react with no response, even remotely, to what is going on in their lives. And the scary thought is, and this is throughout Scripture, is that many times... When there was a rebellious situation, the only one that could deal with it was God. Let me just say, without scaring us too much, is usually when God gets involved in rebellion, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. A lot of times, when God steps in because rebellion has went undone, and by the way, he's very, 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 very patient. But there comes a time where God says, no. And that's part of Scripture. It's very real and it's very true to Scripture. Here's another thought. Is that we are warned in Scripture again and again to guard against the hardening of our hearts, which is directly related to or connected to rebellion. So we're warned again and again and again in Scripture to not let our hearts get so far away from sensitivity to the heart or the, this idea that I could possibly be in rebellion. So my prayer is for us today is that we would have a soft heart, is that we would have an open heart that says, Lord, help me to be aware of anything that's rebellious in me today that I might not drift into this hardening of heart that disconnects me and separates me from a God that I desperately need to be connected with. So all that is true, I think. So you might be saying right now, yeah, I know a rebel. I know a rebel. Don't look anybody right now. Look right up here. But today, this is what I want us to do. I want us to consider the rebel within. I want us to consider the rebel that might be inside of us. And what we're going to do about it, it might be me. Can you just say this to the person next to you? It might be me. It might be me. Some of you are having a hard time saying that. It might be me. <laughs> Some of you, you start to say that you want to go, it might be you. <laughs> Right? It might be me. And so somehow we got to wrestle with this. And so that's what I'm hoping happens. Here, here's the definition in your handout. What is rebellion? It's a resistance a de, or a defiant, defiance towards authority or government. It's a refusal to obey. That's the definition if you go look it up. But a couple definitions for us today is, is rebellion, first and foremost, is a rejection of authority. It's a rejection of authority. I'm rejecting authority over my life. And at the heart of rebellion is an attitude that always says no to God in some shape or another, in some way or another. And, and my question for us today is, are there areas of your life today where you are saying no to God? Are there areas of your life today where you are saying no? Lord, I'm saying yes, I'm saying yes, I'm saying no, yeah. Is there areas of your life that you're saying no to God? It's rejection of authority. Second thought is that biblically, rebellion always causes separation. It always causes separation. 
Never do you find in Scripture or this idea in relationship with God that rebellion draws me close to Him. It's always the opposite. It always disconnects, it always separates, it always alienates, it always makes me an enemy, it always puts distance between me and God. Rebellion always causes separation. Separation from God's purpose, separation from God's promises, separation from God's blessings, separation from his favor, from life, from peace, from order, from righteousness. It always causes separation. It was rebellion in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve that caused separation. It was rebellion that kept the Israelites in the Old Testament from ever entering into the promised land. It was rebellion. It was rebellion. And for some here today, and I want you to hear this really clearly because I believe this is a Holy Spirit moment for some of us. For some of you here today, you are separated from the freedom that God has for you. Because rebellion is still alive in you. Let me say that again. As I was praying through my notes, I I just had an incredible sense that somebody is hearing a God voice right now through this statement. For some of us here today, you are separated from the freedom God has for you because rebellion is still alive in you. We need to deal with that. We need to deal with that. Here's a scripture. James said it this way. James 3, verse 16. It says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, self, there is disorder, unrest, rebellion, and every evil thing and morally degrading practice. Let me, let me kind of unpack that just in one statement. It is the heart that is insecure and self-absorbed that reveals itself in rebellion which results in chaos and everything opposite of God. And so much and many times the chaos that is part of our lives is the direct result of insecurity and selfish ambition that results in rebellion that creates all kinds of craziness and chaos. And see, some of us are in the midst of that right now. Some of us are in the middle of that story right now. That verse is our story. All of a sudden, I can see, wow, that's what's happening. Because of my insecurity and my selfish ambition, the rebellion has come alive in me, and now look at the chaos. That's part of the story. And so I want to deal with that. I want to see what can we do to deal with that. I want to look at a story of King Saul's rebellion in 1 Samuel 15. And I believe it can give us some insight into our own rebellion and how we might live differently. In other words, how we might get to a death of selfie. Now, I've been, this, uh, this week I have, and I want to encourage you, go read 1 Samuel chapter 13, 1 Samuel chapter 15. You can even read chapter 14. It's kind of a, a, a tweener chapter. But the, the story of Saul, and I thought about it for a while, is that I think in, our, in this room there's a lot of Saul in us. Okay, I think there's a lot of Saul in us. There's a lot of rebellion in us. There's a lot of rejection of authority in us that needs to be dealt with. And so Saul's story is very much our story as you begin to unpack it. And so I think we can learn some things from this. So here's the background to Saul. He was, he was appointed king by Samuel the prophet 
as a result of the people crying out, we need a king like everybody else. That's how it all happened. It wasn't because he was somebody great with a great heart. It was simply a response to people saying, we need a guy, and so that was the guy. And they picked him, and God actually landed upon him by his Holy Spirit and anointed his life, and he had great success in battles and even prophesied. I mean, it was like, man, it's happening. This guy is anointed, but it kind of went to his head. Okay, And so in the midst of his being king, he began to reveal a rebellious tendency. If you look in 1 Samuel chapter 13, he, he didn't wait for Samuel the prophet to offer some sacrifices. He wasn't willing to wait. And then he went from there and he began to say, well, I thought and I saw and I felt, and he made it all about himself. I mean, just all these little pictures, these nuances of who he was that began to give direction to his rebellion. And so he was insecure and he was proud, which is always somewhere close to rebellion. And in 1 Samuel 15, Samuel gives specific instructions to Saul because it was really a test from the Lord. Many times what happens is God will come and say, I'm going to test you because I want to prove your faithfulness, but it's at the same time going to give you opportunity to prove your rebellion. And so Samuel comes to him and says, here's the deal. The Lord has anointed you. Listen up really clearly in verse 1 of chapter 15. And so he begins to speak to him about this, Samuel to Saul, this guy who has this tendency. And he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and completely destroy the Amalekites, who, by the way, were evil in the eyes of the Lord. They had totally waylaid the the Israelites for no reason, and they were evil to the core. And again, remember what I said, at some point, some way along the journeys of life, God comes in and says, enough is enough, and he judges That's what God does. And so he came to Saul through Samuel and said, I want you to go and destroy completely the Amalekites. Don't spare anybody. Matter of fact, that's what the text says. It says, now go attack the Amalekites and destroy completely or totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. The next verse actually described the depth of that. I mean, it was everybody and everything, not kind of, not a little bit, all of it. But the problem was found in verse 9. But Saul and the army spared the king Agag and everything that was good. They didn't do it. They rebelled. And, and, and so his rebellion was what caused God to reject him as king. The very rebellion and the test and the laying out of what God had before him, all of a sudden now he was in a really bad spot. Here's what it says in verse 23. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. And because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Now, I just want to be really, really careful here because I think some of us need to hear this loud and clear. If I don't deal with my rebellion, I might be jeopardizing my relationship with God. If I don't deal with the thing that maybe is stirring within me, then somehow, someway, I might be in a place that I am jeopardizing the very relationship that I want with God in the first place because I won't deal with this. And so that's what was happening. And so I want to talk about some screenshots of rebellion for just a few minutes. Screenshots of rebellion. Rebellion happens when. And I think we can pull some things from this, all right? 
So here's the first one. And this is all from chapter 15. You go and read it, study it. I've been studying it all week. First one is this. Rebellion happens when I am unwilling to go all in. To go all in. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 7 through 9, it says, Then Saul attacked the Amalekites. Good so far. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. Oh, that's bad. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. That's good. Verse 9, we already read it. But Saul and his army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle and the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak was totally destroyed. They didn't go all in. They just did kind of. This kind of went for it. And so rebellion comes alive in the areas of my life that I'm not willing to say yes to God completely. The very place that rebellion breeds itself is in the areas that I don't fully go all in. It's in those areas. It's, it's not in the areas that are big and, and demonstrative necessarily, but in these small areas of my life that I won't finally say, Lord, it's yours. And when I have a kind of approach to obedience, rebellion has opportunity to grow. And many times rebellion is found in trying to be selective in my obedience. It's compartmentalizing. I'm, I'm going to obey God for the hour that I'm in church because people would notice if I wasn't. <laughs> I'm going to obey God when I'm at work because people are watching. But boy, give me, give me a couple hours by myself. Forget it, man. I'm out. <laughs> I'm on my own. I'm doing my thing. I'm going where I want to go. I'm, gonna... I'm not all in. When I'm alone and I'm watching that, that computer screen and I don't think anybody else sees me, even though God sees me, I'm going to still go and do what I want to do and I'm going to look at what I want to look at. I'm going to watch what I want to watch. I'm going to engage in what I want to engage in because I'm just kind of... And see, rebellion grows in that area where I'm unwilling to go all in. And see, God is not looking for some obedience or some devotion. God is looking for complete devotion. And again, rebellion is not always something bad or evil or big. It's just an unwillingness to follow through. Why are we unwilling to go all in? And I, I believe it's this, and it's in the text, is rebellion wants to keep apart from myself. Rebellion wants to keep apart for myself. I thought about it. I remember I was talking to somebody that just took over a church in McCook, Nebraska, right? McCook, Nebraska. Any McCook, Nebraska people here? Okay, anybody know where McCook is? There we go. At least now I'm talking to somebody. So I'm talking to this guy that just took over to become the pastor at McCook, Nebraska. And, he, and I said, you know, I have a funny story about that, that that actually started my rebellious story. He's like, really? And some of you heard me tell this before, but it, it just dropped in my head again. Is that when I was three years old, we would go to Ben Franklin. And when we went to Ben Franklin, every time we would walk down the toy aisle, I would grab one of those little metal cars and I would stick it in my pocket. And then I would go home and I would line them up behind the the couch in our house. I remember, I remember it just like it was yesterday. I mean, I probably had 25 little cars lined up behind the couch in my house, those little metal ones with no bottoms on them. You know which ones I'm talking about? I'm dating myself here, all right? But they didn't know how to put bottoms on them then. But. And so I had all these. And so one day my mom came and she, she pulled the couch out. And lo and behold, there is Grand Theft Auto. 
right? And, and, and my mom calls me in, and, and, and again, I'm like three years old, four maybe, three or four. I mean, I can remember this. It's like one of my earliest memories. And she goes, Troy, where did these come from? And I, I, I've never been able to lie very good. I mean, it's one of my, you know, good, bad points, you know. And, and so I, I, I said, I took them from Ben Franklin. And she said, what? I said, yeah, I, every time we went to the store, I told her a story. I put one in my pocket, and then I'd come home, and then, look, this is how many times we went to Ben Franklin. This is how many cards I've stolen. <laughs> right? So I'd be like, 20 times I've stolen these little cars. And so, so my mom, my mom said, well, get those, pick them up, and we're going to go down and talk to the manager, Ben Franklin. I'm like, all right. I mean, you know, I was scared to death, crying, bawling like a little kid. So I got this little plastic bag. I don't know if they had plastic bags back then, but I had a bag. <laughs> yeah, I'm dating myself here. Uh, and so I took him in, and I remember we, she found the manager, and I walked up to the manager, and, and he's like looking at us like, what are you doing? And my mom says, tell him, tell him. I'm like, and I kind of hold up the bag and I open it up and I said, I stole all these and I'm sorry. You know, I'm bawling like a little kid. And, and the guy forgave me, you know. I mean, it was like, okay, forgiveness, all that kind of. But I wanted those for me, right? So then the story fast forward, I become a pastor. I'm traveling around the state of Nebraska and I'm speaking. I'm speaking at McCook Church 25, 30, no, 35 years later. I'm speaking, and I'm telling the story about stealing the cars. And a guy comes up to me, an older gentleman, and he goes, you don't remember me, do you? <laughs> I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I was that guy. <laughs> so, so, you know, I mean, God has a way of finding things out. But, but the whole point of me sharing that story is that Part of the rebellion starts because we want some for us, a part. I want my own little pile. I want my own little row of cars. I want mine. And that's what Saul was doing. He said, I want mine. And, and he wanted the king, and they wanted the goods, and maybe Saul wanted some of the goods too. And so rebellion wants to keep apart from myself. Rebellion wants a pile for myself. Mine, mine, mine. That little two-year-old thing that you learned when you were two, for many of us, is still part of life. It's the rebellion that's in us. It's part of it. It's part of who we are. See, God, you can have this part of my life, but you can't have this part. And see, rebellion is more concerned about personal gain than complete obedience. What's in it for me? Rebellion says to God, it's not all yours. Think about that for a second. Rebellion says to God, it's not all yours. Part of it's mine. It's not true. It's all his. And so I need to be all in. I need to have this idea. It's a rejection of the lordship of God over all of our lives. And even though the truth is, is that it is all God's to start with, we somehow think that I get a piece and Saul was only willing to completely destroy what he did not want for himself. And here's another thing. is He was going with the flow of the people to only be partially obedient. And let me just say it this way. Some of us are here today in our own rebellion because we're just going with the flow of rebellion around us. That's what Saul was doing. So under the cover of partial obedience is where rebellion usually resides and unwillingness to go all in. Here's the second thought. As rebellion happens when I lose touch with 
who is really in charge? Who is really in charge? So rebellion often emerges from a lack of awareness of who is really in the place of authority. And maybe Saul's rebellion would not have happened if he would have constantly recognized that God was behind all of it, not him. That maybe the rebellion would have been stopped at the first day or the first moment if he would have realized this is God's show, not mine. This is God's thing, not mine. And here's what it says in the scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 15, Samuel comes to Saul after this has happened, and he's like, hey, what's going on here and all that? And he says this to Saul, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? And this, listen to this, the Lord anointed you king over Israel. The Lord placed you where you're at. The Lord gave you what you have. The Lord blessed you. The Lord did this. The Lord did this. The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission. But see, some of us, we, we mess that up. We mess that up because we begin to think that I'm the one that anointed me. <laughs> I anointed myself. I'm on my mission. I'm doing my thing. And because of that, when we get to that point where I think I've anointed myself and I'm on my mission, then all of a sudden rebellion has come full force into our hearts because we've forgotten and we've lost touch with who is really in charge. So it's important to realize who's in charge. It's not my mission. It's not my anointing. And when when I'm confused about where real authority comes from, I'm easily given to rebellion. And if I'm not aware of who is in authority, I am not very far from a rebellion. Because rebellion fails to understand the character and the greatness of God, of what God is doing and what he's up to. Last one. Last one. Is rebellion happens when I'm focused on elevating myself. And so no matter what the reason, whether it's out of fear or insecurity or pride or whatever it might be, no matter what the reason is, rebellion happens when I'm focused on elevating myself. Because rebellion always revolves around a self-serving, self-motivated, self-preservation. I'm going to elevate myself. Saul did three things in the story that highlighted his rebellion and his desire to elevate himself. The first one was, is he was building a monument to himself. He was actually building a monument to himself. Samuel went looking for him, couldn't find him. And the people said, and he said, where's where's Saul at? Where's he at? I mean, what's going on? I mean, he's been rebellious and now I can't find him. I mean, what's going on? And it says in verse 12, Saul has gone to Carmel or Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor. And let me just say a couple things about this. If you have this incredible desire to build a monument, make sure you're building it for God and not yourself. If you have this incredible desire to build and honor something or someone, build it in honor of God. Because here's the truth. Those who built altars to God throughout scriptures were great in the eyes of God. Those that built altars and monuments to themselves were always destroyed. They always ended the same. They always ended the same. All for him. And by the way, I I wrestle with this thought all week. Why did he keep King Agag, Agag alive? Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Why, why would he keep the king alive? The very guy that was in opposition to him, 
Here's why I think it was why. This is just my opinion. I think it's because it, it was a trophy for himself. It was a trophy for himself. It was a monument to himself. This is what I've done. I'm so powerful, I took this guy. And he set it up that way. Here's the second thing. is He lied to make himself look better than he really was. Samuel said to him, why did you not obey the Lord? And Saul answered in 1 Samuel 15, verse 20, but I did obey the Lord, which he didn't. He was justifying his actions and even tried to make his rebellion appear spiritual. Because he goes on to say, I I did, and we saved this little bit part back in order to sacrifice them to your God. No, your God, it wasn't his God. It wasn't personal to him. And it was the deceptive dangerous position of rebellion that many times hides again behind spirituality if your rebellion is cloaked and hidden behind I go to church I don't even know what to say to you other than watch out (laughs) watch out it's a scary place to be that if I would have enough spirituality to cloak myself my own rebellion to the point where it would deceive me and think that I'm okay and I don't have any rebellion watch out and I've ran into people over the years that have lived that same story. And here's the third thing that he did. That even after it was clearly revealed that he was in rebellion and God was rejecting him, he begged Samuel to honor him before the people so it appeared like he was still the man. After it was exposed that he was in rebellion, he was still more concerned about what's everybody think. He was still more concerned about what other people thought than the God that created him, and that was the only audience that he needed to be concerned about. He was still concerned about that. And this is what he said, please honor me before the elders. elders." So here's here's our closing prayer. Maybe bow your heads with me. There's three parts to it. Lord, you are in charge of of all that is in my life. That's the first prayer. Lord, you're in charge of all that's my life. Maybe you need to say that in your own heart. Lord, you're in charge of all that is in my life. All of it. Lord, you're in charge of all of it. Not part of it. Not some of it. Not a piece of it. All of it. My job, my family, my free time, my money. Lord, you're in charge of all of it. The second part is, Lord, I'm all in. I'm all in. Not kind of, not somewhat, not a little bit, not just on Sundays, Lord, I'm all in. And the last one, Lord, it's all for you. It's not for me. Lord, my life is for your glory, not my own. If that's your prayer, then I encourage you to, during our response time to honor him with your heart, your mind, your spirit, your soul, that you would lift it up before the Lord. In Jesus' name.